Making the leap from renter to owner can be super daunting. Not counting the mounds of paperwork, the incredible amount of money and time you are investing, and the hours and hours of waiting, waiting to find the ideal house in the ideal location with the ideal features, waiting to hear about an offer, waiting for closing, waiting for an understandable definition of what escrow is, the change in personality is somewhat distressing. Not that everyone has this individual sea change, but for many, this is one of the final steps of entering adulthood. I spent a good chunk of my life on the West Coast, getting into trouble and living there as if I had no goal, no future, just the here and the now. My living spaces reflected this attitude. In apartments, my neighbors hated me because of loud music constantly pumping through their thin walls, or the cigarette butts and empty bottles invariably found in front of their front doors. In houses, the neighbors saw uncut grass and overflowing trash cans. They saw broken furniture in the yard, and sometimes myself broken and passed out as well. For me, my roommates, our only motivation was the next punk or hardcore show, the next bar. In the words of the incredible Iris Dement and John Prine, when payday comes, I was howling at the moon. For me, and uh, those people that I hung out with, there was no, what my parents called, pride of ownership. Partly because I just didn't give a shit, but mostly because I owned nothing. Then a change comes. For most people. A change came for me. A wake-up call. Eventually... I sobered up enough to go back to school, and thankfully, it stuck. I got a couple of degrees, and I began to see myself as a productive member of society. When my wife and I came to the South, we brought with us visions of adulthood. We brought five, ten, twenty-year plans. And that, of course, needed to begin with some sort of foundation. At our jobs, we had students and colleagues referring to us as professors and doctors, sirs and ma'ams and madams. So that aspect seemed responsible. It seemed like we had made it in that way. But we felt a home base would deepen our productive member of society status. Cue the housing market. We jumped right in it. We toured and we put in offers. We got our hopes up and then we got those same hopes dashed. Then after a brief 20 minute tour, two months of waiting and studying the online images of that very house, followed by a commitment to spending more money than we'd ever hoped to see over the next 30 years, we got the keys. Without really contemplating what we were doing, we took on an insane amount of responsibility for something that we had spent basically 20 minutes inside of. In the span of a decade, I went essentially from a punk rock fuck up to a guy who stresses out about his yard getting too long. Today I have daily lists of improvements I need to make, door frames to paint, attic junk to clean out, pool chemicals to buy. I'm constantly worried and working on a house that I never knew existed two months before I had owned it. There's a podcast out there that many of you have probably already listened to, or you've at least listened to his first podcast um, called Scared to Death. It's uh, hosted by Dan Cummins, who uh, did Time Suck, and his wife Lindsay, and they cover all sorts of scary shit on that show, both from famous stories to uh, stories that come in from their listeners. But they also have some pretty smart commentary on the nature of being scared as well. 
There was an episode a few months ago where Lindsay said something that really stuck with me. I don't remember exactly what she was saying or the context that it was in. It had something to do with a haunted house. Um, but what she said, it was basically having to do with how we buy houses without testing them out first, like we do with cars. And I can't tell you how much I really agree with that. We usually try everything out before we buy it. We watch previews and read smart-ass reviews of films before we buy the tickets to the show. We go on campus tours and speak with other students before committing to a particular college. We go on dates and we get to know one another before we get married. Well, most of us do. Often we live together before marriage as well. We get a good understanding of idiosyncrasies and secrets before we commit. We visit countries before we decide that we will move to them. Why then do we not do that with houses? Why is there no test drive period with a house? Why can't we live in a house for a week, a month, a year even? to see if we can get to know its secrets, to see if we can actually live with them. Beside the logistical nightmare this might create, I think it's because every house has those secrets. Every house has something to hide. Of course, there's an argument about new construction, like paranormal activity or poltergeist. But even there, the Cuesta Verde estates were built on graves. Maybe the house itself wasn't malicious, but the builders behind it were. Either way, Homes, like people, have baggage. In today's episode, I'll be reading chapter two of the untitled manuscript I found in the basement of our first home, a segment where the Colemans flash back to their own brief courting period before home ownership. Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in, and the haunt is on. Chapter 2 Because of his love of horror, and a glaring reference to the major step they were taking into adulthood, Denny insisted they name their first home High Hopes. The house sat on a corner lot. The hilly neighborhood, mostly built in the mid-60s, were ranch-style brick affairs that looked as if conjured right from the Sears and Roebuck catalog. They weren't exactly tract homes in the Levittown image, but rather the same general floor plan, with different trimmings and additions. The corner lots were the most unique. Whereas the lot-locked properties had front doors and carports facing the street, the homes on the corners were positioned at 45-degree angles, so that they faced the facades diagonally across the stop-signed intersection. Denny and Kate's ranch was on the southeast corner of Muldoon Road and Bradbury Boulevard. The front door, which they used a handful of times in the year they lived there, faced northwest. The carport and its often used back door faced northeast. Anything but south, Kate had insisted. She was superstitious that way. Following the announcement of a major military program moving into the area, the housing market was suddenly flooded with cash offers and new families. So the fact that the Colemans won the race, and at the price they did, felt almost like fate. A hidden hand, divine or not, had cleared the way. After accepting their teaching positions, the couple had rented a house, sight unseen, and it wasn't two months before they felt claustrophobic in its tiny square footage. 
Their big labs had no fence yard with which to roam either. Feeling relatively stable in their jobs, they thought, why pay someone else's mortgage when we can pay our own? Not knowing the first thing about home buying, ownership, mortgage, escrow, or major responsibility, Denny's mom, Joan, had come up from Florida to help with the process. They secured the first real estate agent that came up on a simple Google search, Connie Smartly, a pleasant, bubbly sort of woman. The agent had high hopes at the top of her list to show the couple. When they pored over the Zillow images, the place produced all the stock responses you might hear on a house hunting reality show. Oh, it's so cute. I love those floors. A big yard for the girls. Looks like it has great light. That could be my sewing room. That could be my man cave. And of course, the biggest selling point, it has a pool. Along with Joan, Denny and Kate, doused with excitement, jumped in the car and had just pulled up in front of the house when Connie called to say that a cash offer just came in. Denny was already out, peering through the windows, noting the emptiness when Kate gave him the news. The three had stood in the driveway for a time, feeling frustrated, feeling antagonistic, and wishing ill will upon those who had the ability to deliver cash up front. Denny and Kate were recent graduates from a doctoral program in which they made enough money to eat ramen and put maybe $5 in their gas tanks, so the couple would be taking whatever mortgage they got with Denny's mother as a cosigner. At the time, high hopes didn't seem like an option. Over the next two weeks, Connie took them on tours of dozens of houses that either fell way below their expectations or far above their price point. They'd begun discussing the notion of waiting until the fall, maybe even closer to Christmas. They could save some money, find the perfect place. After all, there was no rush, right? With this new resolution, Joan decided it was time for her to go. She was dragging her suitcase out of the bedroom and getting herself ready to make the drive back down to Florida when Connie called. Kate left the room, talking in a higher-pitched voice than normal. When she returned, her face alight, she said, the offer fell through. You're kidding, Joan said. Nope, Kate told her. Connie's on her way to the place now. They piled back into Denny's doorless Jeep, and the three rushed across town. At one point, Denny said, If another cash offer comes in, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to find him, and I'm going to get him. Connie's midsize Buick SUV was parked in the driveway, a smartly Holmes decal across the rear window, and the Holmes carport door stood open. Connie was already inside, turning on lights and air conditioning, probably. The three Colemans went into the laundry room first. A decent-sized room attached to the carport, Joan noted the lack of a washer and dryer. You're going to need to buy those, she said. Add another thousand bucks to the list. Denny's mom had a knack for taking a happy moment and injecting it with hard realities. Like if the couple were to mention they'd been thinking of taking a vacation into Columbia, Joan might suggest that Kate would be trafficked out of the country and sold into the harem of a wealthy Iraqi. Always a ray of sunshine. Kate was the first to walk into the house. She had a bundle of sage stashed in the hidden pocket of her sundress. Again, always the superstitious one, she wanted to make sure the vibes of the house were solid even before they made an offer. Following, Denny said, Connie, you in here? Without furniture or art on the walls, his voice bounced and echoed. They heard nothing back. Denny went on. She must be down by the pool, turning on the pump or something. 
The house was screaming for updates. It needed new, modern colors to cover the antique white banisters, chair rails, and cornices. It needed to remove the busy, floral print wallpaper and replace the thick, musty curtains that were about as old as Kate and Denny combined. But this was all cosmetic. While very dated, the house was in great shape. Good bones, one might say. The hardwood floors were polished, windows replaced to double pane for energy conservancy, and the air conditioning made the transition from the brutal Georgian heat feel heavenly. I guess this can be a self-guided tour for the time being, Joan said, and the trio immediately split up. Joan lingered in the kitchen in the dining nook, which the carport door opened into. The next rooms were divided by a wall with a pass-through between them. On one side was what was probably intended to be a formal dining room, which Denny had already talked about curtaining off and turning into a home theater, while the other side was an awkwardly shaped dining room, with a fireplace backed up to the rear of the kitchen. The dining area also housed a sliding glass door, which led to the screened-in porch and the stairs down to the pool area in the backyard. Denny went out and shut the door behind him. The separated living and formal dining rooms came together in an entryway, where the front door stood, solid, with a fresh coat of paint. This space gave way to a long hallway. Kate went this way. Already darker than the rest of the house, as the light from the afternoon sun couldn't quite reach that far, Kate thought some strategically placed mirrors would help to brighten the corridor. The first door on the left was the guest bathroom which was begging to have its pastel pink tiles traded in for something more contemporary, while the first door on the right opened into a small bedroom. Just big enough for a guest room, this space had a large picture window that looked out onto the intersection of Bradbury and Muldoon, yet even with the curtains drawn, the room held a certain dimness to it. Kate chalked this up to the new windows. Maybe they had some sort of progressive tinting that helped with cooling down the sprawling house. She flipped the light switch, saw that the ceiling fan and bulb worked, then continued on her own tour. The back corner bedroom was smaller than the others. This could be our office space, she thought. A library. Put all those damn books they'd needed to buy and read for their degrees up on the shelves. This room, too, was darker than it should have been. And colder. Five, six, maybe seven degrees difference than the larger rooms in the front of the house. These windows would really help on their electric bill. Libraries were meant to be cooler, darker, anyway. Like tombs for forgotten authors and dead words. Across the hall was the door to the master bedroom. This door was closed. As she reached for the handle, Kate could hear voices from back down the hall. First, the mutter of Joan's voice. Then Denry responding with, No, she wasn't down there. The master was a lavish space. Enough room for their king-size bed, a pair of dog cushions that the girls would never use, and even a corner for a chaise lounge or other chair to relax with a book in. There were two doors on opposing sides, and Kate was drawn to the closer one. A decent master bath was inside. This, too, needed some updates. Kate pictured a clawfoot tub, bath bombs, candles, and a soft cotton robe waiting on a cute accent table nearby. Coming out of the bathroom, Kate found Denny in the center of the room, looking up at the ceiling fan. The blades were detailed with spirals and roses, we're going to need to change this out. Priority. Kate said, Does that mean you're into the house? Are you? Asked you first, Kate said. Honestly, I love it, Denny said. 
He put an arm around her waist and led her over to one of the room's windows. It overlooked the pool. So much space out there. The girls will just die when they get to run around it. And the pool? I mean, I'm going to just live out there. Kate smiled at the thought of looking out that same window and seeing Denny on a pineapple-shaped float, sunglasses on, fruity cocktail in his hand. And the basement? Well, it's sort of a basement. Looks like whoever owned this place turned it into a makeshift bar or party area. I think it was just a crawl space at first. Then they dug it out, put some plywood walls up to cover some of the pipes and wires. There's this old fridge down there. It still works. He sounded giddy, like he was relating his first sexual experience to a virginal best friend. Kind of weird, but I think I could turn that into my workshop. I think the guy that lived here before did too. That sounds great, Kate said. But what about the house itself? It's cool, he said, leading them to the other window, which gazed out onto the slipping backyard. A tin shed sat alone in one corner. But really, this is your space, right? I want you to decorate and organize and make this place your own. Our own. Okay. I'm giving the outside areas my stamp of approval. The inside? What say you? Kate's mouth widened into a smile. I love it. Really. The house is perfect. Denny made a little fist-pumping motion, then said, All right. We can't sound too excited, though. We gotta hold our cards close to our chest until we get the inspections done and all that. Speak for yourself, big boy. You're manic. Talking too fast. Haven't seen you like this in a while. Maybe since I wanted that one outfit in bed. Denny reddened. Then he smacked her ass to get her moving down toward the hallway. Then he stopped. Wait. Did you check out the closet? I think it's a walk-in. Kate waited by the hall while Denny went over and opened the door. He swung it wide, then stood there, just gripping the handle. His mouth hung open. What? Kate asked. Is it massive? Will I be in fat pants and shoe storage heaven? Without looking at her, Denny said, Check this out. Joining him, Kate peered into the closet. It was large, maybe half the size of the guest room, with wire shelving attached to two of the walls. A single bulb with a pull chain hung from the ceiling, and below it, on the fringes of the light's cone, was Connie, the real estate agent. She was on her knees, resting on her heels with her back to the couple. Her forehead looked to be pressed against the wall. She was rocking back and forth in a slow, rhythmic pattern. Connie, Kate said first. You okay? The woman kept rocking. Reverting to some proper place in his mind, Denny said, Mrs. Smartly? Without realizing, the couple had interlaced their fingers and they could see each other's bodies stiffening. With her free hand, Kate squeezed the bundle of sage in her pocket. The light bulb flickered once, then again. Kate looked up to see the chain, with what looked like a rabbit's foot attached to the end. It was swinging in a tight circle, as if it had just been pulled. Denny moved first, taking a step forward. Do you need us to call some... Connie breathed out, her back shuddering as if she'd been holding her breath, then looked over her shoulder at the Coleman's. Her eyes were wide, too wide, and even from six feet away, Kate could see that her pupils were nearly eclipsing their irises. The woman blinked over and over, like she was trying to clear sleep away. Then she turned her head again. They could hear her mutter what sounded like, 
Thank God. Then she was on her feet. Turning around, eyes downcast, Connie was smoothing down the front of her skirt. So glad you could make, she said, a slight tremor in her voice, on, on short notice. We wanted to see the inside of the house, Denny said. But, again, are, are you okay? Me? Yes, oh, I, I was, she said, then looked around her as if she was trying to remember how to speak or to find some excuse. I was just making a phone call. A phone call? Denny said. Yes. I came in here for some privacy, and I i don't know. I must have zoned out. You didn't hear us come in? Kate asked. Meeting her gaze, Kate saw that the agent's eyes were returning to normal. The expression on her face had also begun to change, soften. Her smile lifted, cheeks dimpling. Of course I did. Come in. She said, brushing past them. Have you had a chance to look around yet? Can I show you? Denny and Kate shared a look, but before either could respond, Connie smartly was already in the hallway saying, Come on, let me show you around. From the backseat of the Jeep, Joan said, Do I have to be the one to bring up what happened back there? Kate and Denny told his mother about the interaction in the closet while Connie had run outside to get some paperwork from her SUV. It was weird, Mom. Real weird, Kate said. Nah, Denny said. She was probably praying for a big commission. In the walk-in closet? Kate asked. Prayer is a serious thing, babe, Denny said. She wanted some privacy. But why there? Joan asked. Right then, when she knew we were coming over. Denny considered this for a minute before finally saying, Maybe we caught her playing with herself. Danny, Joan shouted. What? He said, giggling. Selling houses has got to be stressful. She's going to make that money. Sometimes you just need to get the poison out of your system before a big event. Joan stuck her fingers in her ears and was singing la 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 la. Hell, I did the same thing, Denny said. Right before my first date with you. He slapped his wife's thigh. No, you didn't, Kate said. Looking over, he could just make out the shape of her eyes through her sunglasses. He said, Scout's honor. Well, it didn't work. You were a nervous wreck the whole time. No, I wasn't. Suave. Mr. Cool. Like hell. You were babbling, sweaty, twitchy, Kate said, laughing. It was cute. I was nervous, sure, Denny said. But at least I wasn't poking you in the stomach when we kissed goodnight. This made Kate laugh out loud, and she reached over and squeezed her husband's thigh. From the backseat, Joan said, Are you done yet? Mom, I'm never done. Denny flicked his cigarette out the window. That's why Kate loves me so much. Quit it, Joan said. Then after a moment, added, Seriously, guys, that whole thing didn't bother you at all? Denny waited for Kate to answer this time, and when she didn't, he said, Who cares? Let's just hope she gets us this house for a good price. Whether she worked any magic or not, Connie called Kate's phone later that evening with the news that their offer, 10000 less than the already low asking price, had been accepted. No terms, no renegotiation. If the inspections cleared, 
and they made it through the shortened two-week escrow period, the house was theirs. Today's episode was presented by Dr. Scarelove. Theme music was provided by Atrium Carcheri. Again, it is so rad that I'm able to use Simon's music. Please check out Atrium Carcheri and all the other incredible artists from the Cryo Chamber label on Bandcamp. You can also find links to all of Simon's work in the show notes. Be sure to like and subscribe. And as this is a new show, any reviews on Apple Podcasts are super helpful. They have an algorithm. That's how people find shows. Please uh, go on there, review the show, tell them that you hate me, tell them anything. I don't, I, you know, it doesn't matter what you say. Just review, please. Um, it's it would be so so wonderful if you would do that, and I would be so appreciative of it. Um, and I'm gonna start giving shoutouts to those who um, write reviews on there. Um, and that's that's all for today. So. I'm going to leave you with this. Remember, there are two types of people in this world, the haunters and the haunted. Which one are you?